0: Welcome to the America's Quarterly Podcast. I'm Brian Winter. Jair Bolsonaro is facing new corruption allegations in his government, a slow vaccine rollout, and a rising threat of impeachment. Is the end near for Brazil's president?
1: From my perspective, at this point in time, might have reached bottom. The economy is recovering. I think things are going to get better, but it all depends to what extent it reaches real people.
0: Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro appears to be in trouble. A congressional inquiry into his government's response to the pandemic has uncovered incompetence as well as possible corruption. In just the past week, witnesses have said Bolsonaro was aware of irregularities in the health ministry's purchase of the Indian Covaxin vaccine, yet did nothing to stop them. Separately, a health ministry official was also accused of soliciting a bribe of $1 per vaccine from an international supplier. The congressional inquiry comes as Brazil recently surpassed the tragic mark of 500,000 deaths from COVID-19, that's second only to the United States, and as only about 16% of the population has been fully vaccinated. Meanwhile, the economy is in tough shape, with unemployment at a record 14.7% and poverty and inequality all rising fast. Meanwhile, recent polls have shown Bolsonaro losing badly to former President Lula in next October's presidential election. And if things weren't bad enough for the president, a coalition of groups from both the left and right filed a new request for his impeachment on June 30th. So what does it all mean? Is Bolsonaro now at risk again of impeachment, the same fate that befell two of the last four elected Brazilian presidents? Is he permanently weakened? Or could he still recover with help from his conservative base, as well as an economy that is supposed to do better as 2021 progresses. To discuss all this, I'm joined today by Patricia Campos Melo. Patricia is one of Brazil's finest and best-known journalists, a reporter and columnist at Folha de Sao Paulo, as well as the winner of the 2020 Maria Morris Cabot Prize. Patricia, thanks for joining me today.
1: Thank you, Brian. Thank you for having me and for the generous introduction.
0: Well, it's a pleasure to have you, Patricia, and this is so important that we're recording this despite the fact that I have the flu, which, you know, our regular listeners may notice a slight difference in my voice. But, but let's get down to it. You know, Patricia, I thought originally that this congressional probe of Bolsonaro's COVID response was going to be kind of a media show similar in some ways to the two impeachments of Donald Trump here in the United States, that it was going to, you know, drudge up a lot of details and tell us maybe a few new things, but ultimately would not have a big political impact. I think I was wrong.
1: I think we were all wrong. I mean, up until now, we were all watching politicians sort of on campaign mode, trying to, you know, give speeches, but nothing really shocking had been uncovered. But now with the corruption evidence and and, and signs, this is something that goes against one of the main campaign slogans of Bolsonaro against corruption, that he's honest and that he's a new kind of politician. He's an outsider. So now I think people are, they might think, okay, so not only he neglected buying vaccines, But also there was corruption and maybe they didn't buy the vaccines earlier because they wanted to get money on it. So, I mean, it's difficult to tell in Brazil. We always say it might end up in pizza, which is nothing's going to happen. But maybe this time is different.
0: Yeah, I mean, my take is that we knew that this congressional investigation, or CPI, as it's called for its initials in Portuguese, was going to turn up negligence. The Bolsonaro government's focus on these unproven cures like hydroxychloroquine. We knew all that was out there. We knew it was part of the pandemic response in 2020. But corruption is potentially like kryptonite to this government because he was elected primarily to be different compared to the corruption that we saw in the Workers' Party governments as well as in the Temer government that preceded him.
1: Which is quite ironic, because if you think of it, it was Bolsonaro the one who actually ended with the car wash operation, under his government, Sergio Moro, the former Justice Minister, resigned because he saw some attempts to interfere with the federal police, And even though all that happened, he still managed to keep this image that, you know, he's fighting corruption, even though you have all those evidence against his sons. But he was managing successfully to keep his image as, you know, crusader against corruption. And yes, there was a big need among population. I think one of the big reasons he won in 2018 was that people were really, really angry with all the corruption scandals from the PT government. That's why the corruption allegations now are so important, because that changes the whole narrative.
0: And it's not just corruption involving, say, payoffs of political partners in Congress. This goes to the heart of, as you said, the slow response to the pandemic, the slow rollout of vaccines. I mean, to put it very bluntly, this is the kind of corruption that if it, these allegations are true, almost certainly resulted in a higher death toll in Brazil.
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, if these allegations are proved, the argument last year was that they would not buy Pfizer vaccines because they were not approved by our FDA agency and also because the prices were too high and they wanted to negotiate. And then We realize now, if all these stories and all the evidence is confirmed, that actually they were very fast to buy the Indian vaccine. It's more expensive. It has not been approved by our FDA up until now. And it's not being sold anywhere. I mean, it's only like 13 countries. So it's not a well established uh, vaccine. So we all start thinking okay so it was not that they just neglected it maybe they were expecting to gain something from that and that is really horrible because it's what you said you know it might be corruption that kills
0: now your newspaper folio de sao paulo published a story with allegations from a official at a international vaccine supplier saying that a health ministry official asked him for a bribe equivalent to $1 per vaccine of the AstraZeneca vaccine. So this is actually separate from the whole Covaxin question. Can you talk to us a little bit about what we know about that specific allegation and what the effects are likely to be?
1: Well, so on top of the whole Covaxin imbroglio, you have this story that was a story published by a Constanza Rezeng, a reporter at Folha de Sao Paulo, that a representative of a Texan company called Davati Medical Supply said that he actually, he met with the director of the Ministry of Health who requested $1 per dose to actually sign a contract.
0: That's a classic kickback then.
1: Yes, classic kickback, yes. And that would be for four hundred million doses. And that raises suspicions about all the vaccine purchases.
0: As we record this, Patricia, you know, President Bolsonaro has not directly addressed that specific report. He did say in comments that the members of Congress undertaking the investigation are bandidos, or I guess bandits. Um he also said that you know he's not gonna be damaged by the CPI. And he also noted, curiously, that he has the support of the armed forces. He separately has said that he he said earlier in June, he said with regard to these co allegations that he has no way of knowing what happens inside each and every ministry, which is quite different from his discourse at the end of 2020, when he was saying that there was no more corruption in the Brazilian government since he was president.
1: Precisely. It's a very difficult situation for President Bolsonaro, because on the one hand, he's trying to distance himself from whatever was happening inside the Ministry of Health. And the guy who was the whistleblower, he said that he did alert President Bolsonaro about this. And that President Bolsonaro said, oh, this is something related to uh, Ricardo Barros, who's the speaker for the government in the House. So now, on the one hand, he needs to distance himself from all that dirt, from all that corruption. But at the same time, Ricardo Barros is an important figure from Centrão. This,
0: uh... You're not the first person to struggle with a translation for the Centrão. I, I have uh, traditionally called it an ideologically amorphous group of Congress people who have, over the last year or so, been strong supporters of Bolsonaro
1: perfect definition and they are actually essential for Bolsonaro's government to survive because they represent lots of votes that could be important to approve an impeachment trial so on the one hand he needs to distance himself from all this corruption scandal but on the other hand he can't really you know just say okay so let's investigate and let's punish whoever is involved in this corruption scandal because it might affect the Centrão, and he needs the Centrão to survive politically.
0: Yeah, it's a tough balance. Well, so let's get to the consequences of this. Do you believe that Bolsonaro now faces a material risk of impeachment considering these allegations, but also the fact that the elections are a little more than a year away?
1: Hmm. I would say that no, because he created a very interesting scheme to distribute money to the politicians to central politicians so these central politicians who are essential for his survival are really happy because they have millions of reais to give to their constituencies. So to have an impeachment trial here in Brazil you need the speaker of the House who is part of the Centrão, Arthur Lira, to start the proceedings. And for that to happen, you have to be really unhappy about everything that is happening. And they are known to be very pragmatic. I mean, last time, when there was impeachment proceeding with former President Dilma, she was very clumsy politically. She wasn't really very competent in managing her political alliance, her, her base. So now I don't see that happening while they still have all this orc to use. And we have elections next year, so it's very important for the re-election of all the legislators to have pork. But on the other hand, I see a realization among people who really don't want former President Lula back in power, but don't want a second Bolsonaro administration, that one of the Few possible ways to have a third way candidate is to impeach Bolsonaro, because then you would have some space for a center left or center right candidate. So it's complex. I still don't see an impeachment proceeding starting because Centrão still has a lot of money, but you never know.
0: But Patricia, to take one of my favorite expressions about Brazilian politics the Centrão cannot be bought, it can only be rented. <laughs> Which is to say, you know, they are loyal, but only up until a point. And it's also true that they were part of Dilma Rousseff's alliance until eventually they did sense weakness and turned on her. I mean, do you discount the possibility of that happening over the next 13, 14 months?
1: Not at all. (laughs) One of the things we have to watch is protests. I mean, if they start to realize that the public opinion is turning against Bolsonaro for good, You know, if you have larger and larger protests as we've been having in the last... I mean, up until now, the opposition was nowhere to be seen. You didn't have people on the streets. You only had Bolsonaro supporters in the streets. Also because they deny uh, the seriousness of COVID-19. So they were outside because they don't care about social distancing. But now that people are gradually and slowly getting vaccinated, you see opposition uh, people... uh, in the streets, protesting against Bolsonaro. It's not a small erosion in his approval rate.
0: No, and his approval rating right now is at 24 percent, which is certainly lower than it has been. But it it is higher than the single digits that Dilma Rousseff had by the time of her impeachment. So maybe he still has enough support to avoid that fate. Another thing that's worth watching, of course, is who comes out as part of these protests. I remember a couple of weeks ago when there were big protests on a Saturday in Brazil. You looked at photos afterwards and what you saw was a sea of red people in red t-shirts. Red, of course, is the color of the Workers' Party. And so it was somewhat easy to dismiss those protests as sort of a, a partisan affair. It's still important, but it's not the same as you know what you saw in Brazil in 2015 and 2016, when it was really a broad cross-section of society and the middle class. I mean, do you agree that who comes out to protest is as important as how many people come out to protest?
1: I think there is a challenge of showing that this is not only something that is being organized by the left-wing parties, because that's what Bolsonaro has been doing. He's been saying, oh, you know, this is a PT thing. You know, it's not really the population who's unhappy. It's just the, the left-wing parties. But I do think that they are expanding. It's true that you saw a lot of red flags and, and PT signs and PSO and other very politically motivated people. But I do think that this is expanding. And I think that in 2015, you started with, you know, a small core of people that maybe were more ideologically extreme, and it it just expanded. It all depends on, and this is going to sound obvious, on how fast the economy recovers. But not only the economy, it depends on how fast the inflation goes down, because even if you do have a recovery, they are projecting 5% GDP growth uh, this year. But if you still have inflation and uh, mainly inflation over food, if it's still high, this is really bad for his approval rate among poor people.
0: Well, and that leads perfectly into kind of my final question about Bolsonaro himself. I mean, you could also make a case that this right now is as bad as things are going to get for Bolsonaro. Because the economy, at least on the GDP side, is showing signs of life. It has yet to really make a fundamental difference in things like unemployment and poverty. In fact, as I noted in the introduction, all those indicators still seem to be heading in the wrong direction. But vaccine rollout will likely continue to improve. In places like Sao Paulo state, you now have more than half of adults who have been vaccinated, at least partly. And at some point, you have to figure that this congressional investigation is going to stop making headlines as well. So it's it's certainly not impossible to imagine that in another three, four or five months that Bolsonaro could be in much better shape.
1: Yes, that is their calculus. I mean, they're thinking, okay, so He reached bottom. From now on, it's only going to get better because the economy is recovering. People are gradually getting vaccinated. They're going to have more space to spend money on social programs next year. So we should see it carefully when people are saying, oh, look at the polls. They're showing former President Lula so much ahead. But I think things are going to get better, and it all depends to what extent it reaches Real people, I mean, the economy is going to recover, but if you still have inflation, if there's other like possible surprises, we might have energy problems because we have a drought that is very severe. So we might have electricity shortages. And this is really, really dangerous for a politician to face. This costs a lot of popularity. And maybe you can't control inflation so well because you also have commodity prices going up. We don't really know, but from my perspective, at this point in time, he might have reached bottom, and from now on, it's going to get better.
0: Patricia, I follow all of Latin American politics, but I follow Brazil especially closely, as, as you know. And one thing that I say about Brazil is that under normal circumstances, and things have not been normal in Brazil for a long time, but under normal circumstances, most Brazilians are fundamentally apolitical. It's not a country where normally you see a bunch of people paying attention to politics. Is that different now after everything that the country's been through and with the pandemic still you know, claiming upwards of 2,000 deaths per day? I mean, what I guess I'm asking is what's the mood there like right now? Are people very engaged with what's happening in Brasilia or are Are they so consumed with the struggles that they're facing in their day-to-day life that some of these things we're discussing aren't quite front of mind for them?
1: That's a great question. I think a few years back, we started getting similar to the U.S. in the sense that, let's say 10 years ago, we didn't have cultural wars. You know, this was not something that divides people in a way. Uh, So brutal. And this polarization became a reality in Brazil. And now, with the pandemic, everything became politicized health decisions and the speed of vaccination. On the one hand, I think people are paying more attention because they're really outraged at some of the things that are happening you know, the number of people who died of COVID-19 and many deaths could be prevented. But on the other hand, some people are just so tired and they're getting to that point that politicians are all the same. It really doesn't matter. And still, what really keeps, for instance, uh, Bolsonaro's base energized, you do have this core base, you know, let's say 15%, this very, you know, faithful voters that are very conservative, for cultural reasons, mainly, but not only, they are there. But the rest, some of the people who voted in 2018, voted for Bolsonaro to get rid of PT and Lula, they're really lost because they don't know who they're gonna vote for next year. They don't want Bolsonaro, but they don't want Lula. And they are really trying to get away from politics. So difficult situation.
0: Well, I want to talk a little bit about Lula because, you know, the recent polling, including a recent poll by Epec, suggests that actually people do want Lula. This Epec poll that I just cited that came out on June 25th suggested that Lula would win 49% of the vote against 23% for Bolsonaro, which would be enough to kind of take the election in the first round without a runoff. How do you explain that, given that he was, you know, as recently as I think a year and a half ago under house arrest and the vast assumption was that his political career was over?
1: Interesting. Datafolia polls also show the same trend. I think people, and mainly in the northeast of the country, they have these very fond memories of Lula's time in government. So if you get the population that is really poor, they start to remember the first Lula administration when they started to increase minimum wage above inflation and they gained purchasing power and also Bolsa Familia. I mean, there was a wealth effect that is very alive in the minds of many poor people, because now it's very difficult. Right now, poverty is reaching record rates unemployment 14.7 percent and you see people you know they really see that the rice in the supermarket is much more expensive so i think that's why they have this memory it's not only the charisma i mean both bolsonaro and lula have this very charismatic personalities but they do have these memories of good times under lula administration
0: yeah Final question, Patricia, you know, do you still think there's any space for a third candidate in this election next year? I mean, look, we are still 16 months away, so it's tough to say, but the country looks so polarized. I I don't see much room for one right now. Do you disagree?
1: No, I don't see any room for a third-party candidacy right now, unless there's no Bolsonaro in the election. He's impeached or something happens. Then I would see a lot of space. There was a joke on social media the other day saying, we all had to vote for Bolsonaro to get rid of Lula and, and PT in 2018, and now we all have to vote for Lula to get rid of Bolsonaro. But some of these people, they would vote for someone else, Right. And some of the center-right people, some of the moral supporters, car wash supporters, they are not happy with Bolsonaro, but they would never vote for Lula. So I think the only way that you could have some space for such a candidacy would be if you did not have Bolsonaro, but that's highly unlikely at this point, but I might be
0: wrong. We might all be wrong, Patricia. Being predictive about Brazilian politics is notoriously difficult, especially during times like these, but we appreciate your willingness to try, and and thank you again for joining us on the podcast today.
1: Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the America's Quarterly Podcast. You can read more at americasquarterly.org. Finally, if you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review, give us a rating, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The America's Quarterly podcast is produced by Brendan O'Boyle and Leonie Rawls. America's Quarterly is an independent, not-for-profit publication of America's Society and the Council of the Americas.